Working at the office, seeing patients at the hospital, spending quality time with your spouse, coaching the soccer team, helping kids with homework, having one or two or more committee positions at the hospital, attempting to run a marathon. Do you find yourself juggling commitments and not really living? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am Dr. Leslie Lunt, author of You Can Think Like a Psychiatrist, your host, and with me today is internist and chief of occupational health at California Pacific Medical Center in San Francisco, Dr. Linda Hawes-Clever. She has a national reputation for activism and for professional and community service. Dr. Clever is the founding president of Renew, a not-for-profit aimed at helping people maintain and regain enthusiasm, effectiveness, and purpose as they resolve the competing imperatives of work and life. Welcome back to ReachMD, Dr. Clever. Thank you for having me. Uh, Linda, please tell us how to be a better juggler. (laughs) (laughs) This week especially. (laughs) A good friend of ours is Phil Lader, and he started Renaissance Weekends, and he and his wife, Linda. And one of the things he said is, we are all jugglers. The question is, which balls are glass and which balls are rubber, which balls will bounce if we drop them, and which balls will shatter. We are jugglers, but even the best jugglers can't juggle all the time and all the balls, but we really need to know which balls are which. And I tend to think of of relationships as the the glass balls, and almost everything else is rubber, Uh, the committee chairmanship, you know, so forth and so on. All those things one can put aside, or if you drop them, they'll bounce. Somebody else will pick it up. But relationships and dear ones and people who, with, with whom we have uh, responsibilities, joint responsibilities and love, that's something that requires tending. So I would say the first thing about juggling is knowing what you're juggling and which is which. The other thing is, as someone pointed out to me, some rubber balls become glass balls. That is, if you drop it often enough, it will shatter. And that could be friendships, because sometimes if you haven't seen somebody or if you don't pay attention to them or don't return their phone calls, well, after a few times, maybe they're not really friends. And that, so that has become a, a shatter, a glass kind of a ball. Then there are some balls that I have realized that you should never pick up in the first place. They are <laughs> ah, made out of cement <laughs> and nails, and you know they're just awful. And, you know, it may be that committee chairmanship that nobody else wants to take. Well, there's a reason for that, and you don't have to do it. Actually, I was asked uh, just a couple, uh, I guess last month, to do something that I barely had time to do. I didn't have time to do, but I was kind of a person who could do it. And I said, I'll tell you what, I'll do it if you write the first draft of the report. <laughs> ah. and, and then I'll, you know, I'll do all the reading, I'll do all the things you need to do that need to get done for me to have a good opinion. But if you'll do the first draft of the report then we're cool. And it happened. And so I kind of didn't pick up the cement and nail ball I I asked them to do, which was easy enough for them to do it. And then we got the work done. So I would say, first of all, the juggle is know what you're juggling and what's really important. But don't you find people usually, uh, in fact, do just the opposite, that they assume that family and friends are going to be there no matter what, and instead they choose the other, the committees and the sort of detail-y grunt work as their first priority? Well, I think that that uh, is a time to check their values. In my experience, family and friends care very deeply, but those are glass balls. They can shatter. And if, again, looking in the, the, the very long run, and this is perhaps a little graphic, but, you know, who's going to change your diapers? 
it's not going to be your patients. It's not going to be the hospital administrator. It's not going to be the people you're on the committee with. It's not the computer mm. and you're all those. It is who's going to be with you when you really need it. And they really need you, and you want to be there for them as well. I had a conversation um, with a colleague a while back, and he was on this incredibly fast treadmill, and we were driving to a, a conference, and I said, gee, you know, do you have any time for your family and your friends? And he said, well, no, but I'm, you know, getting all, uh, I'm seeing patients and getting all this accomplished, all this accomplished. And I said, well, but, you know, you're pretty much type A. And he said, yeah, I'm type A, and I, I just love it. And I said, well, what happens to your family if you drop dead? And he said, that's their problem. <gasps> and so I don't know. Maybe he was living his values. Uh, maybe he'd just been caught up in the horror or the, all of the excitement. But I think we all need to, both as, as families and as friends um, and as certainly as individuals, are check in with what is most important to us and is, is that what we are living and that can help with, with juggling decisions for sure. I would also say that there are some kind of other questions to ask. Let's say we've decided which glasses are balls, which balls <laughs> are, are uh, a glass and which balls are rubber. And then we can say some other things, such as how many times have I laughed today? You know, am, I, am I having a good enough time? What have I learned lately? Well, learned lately outside my field. What have I learned lately that's brand new? What Have I taken some courses? Am I teaching? Because teaching a course is one of the best ways of, of learning. We can ask ourselves, how many times lately, let's say in the last three days, did I overreact or uh, did other people think that I overreacted to something? Did I blow up? Linda, is there a way that our listeners can access the Renew-O-Meter? Oh, the Renew-O-Meter. Yes. Thanks for asking. It is on our website. And the website is www.renewnow, all one word, renewnow.org, O-R-G. And it's, it's there. And so people can, um, can take the test. Oh, yeah. That's a big step, just taking the test, I think. It is. And we are all good at, at test taking, or we wouldn't be where we are. That can make you kind of aware of some of these things that tend to blur as we're in the fast lane. And so it, it's really a way of sitting down and saying, hmm, have I had sit-down dinners with a family and friends? Actually, I was talking with some medical students not long ago, and I, it was one of the questions is, how many sit-down dinners have you had with family or friends in the last week? And two of them said, well, we haven't had any. And I said, well, how come? And they said, well, we don't have any friends here. Ooh. And the reason the sit-down dinner thing is important is, you know, with, with your children and also with um, your experience in psychiatry, is that sit-down dinners that are pleasant are associated with kids doing better in school and not smoking and not careening around at 80 miles an hour without seatbelts and not, you know, getting on drugs. So the, the sit-down dinners is not just a pleasure thing. It really is a bonding and a very healthy thing to be doing. Absolutely. And, and Linda, I'm sure you're aware of this literature, too. The number one factor of improved SAT scores in teenager is how many times did you have dinner with your family? Yep. So that can be a motivation for people too. <laughs> you want those SAT scores to go up, have dinner with your family. You know, you don't have to hire a coach, just have <laughs> dinner together. Yeah, we always do the, the word of the day in the car as well, and that gets everybody in the, the right track of learning first thing in the morning. If you know it, you can do it, and there is the time to do it. And besides, whether it's word of the day or sit-down dinners, you know, everybody does have to keep learning and have to keep eating. 
Might as well do it together. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, to plug the channel a bit, I think this is one of the areas that ReachMD uh, really provides such a service that while you're in your car and usually it's just sort of dead time, which can be important too, but here, you know, you can hear this show while you're in your car. You can learn all sorts of things maybe outside of your specialty to make those neurons uh, sprout some more. And they do. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I know that they do. Any other questions um, that the Renewometer talks about that people can sort of take their pulse about their current situation with? Well, another one that I think is interesting is how many times in the past week did you spend more than one hour refreshing your body or your spirit? And that doesn't count eating or sleeping. And some people can say, well, you know, I take a walk for 45 minutes every morning or evening or whatever. And some people say, oh, I haven't done a thing for myself in months, which also may be kind of an exaggeration, but that's how they're feeling. And so how much time have you spent just in the last the week, that seven days, one hour at a time refreshing yourself is a good question. Then, of course, as we always ask our patients, because we ask our patients these kinds of questions too, how's your weight? Are you getting enough sleep? So forth and so on. And Angelus Arian, who's a cultural anthropologist in um, the Bay, San Francisco Bay Area, has some wonderful questions to ask. One is, when did you last sing? When did you last dance? When were you last enchanted by a story? And when did you last enjoy the sweet territory of silence? And I find those questions delightful and delicious to think about. And as I say, when when did you last dance? Well, we were in Seattle two weeks ago and, uh, when my cousin got married, and I'm telling you, the joint was jumping. <laughs> and it just makes me smile to think about that. So the questions may bring back good memories, and they also may be reminders of, hmm, maybe I should do that some more. Don't you find some resistance, though, among physicians that we're too serious and self-important to do frivolous things like singing and dancing and being enchanted? Well, maybe. Um, <laughs> I... There's a whole lifespan, though, of physicians these days. Some are older, some are younger, and maybe some were always old, and maybe some will always stay young. Traditionally, there has been a certain ponderousness uh, to physicians, uh, and there was for teachers, too. I remember, gee, we were shocked if we ever saw a teacher go into a nightclub or something like that. Gee, right, right. However, what I hear all the time from younger and healthier physicians is we want to have a life, too. Uh, we are devoted, we are smart, we are capable, and that's all true. But we want to sing and dance, and we want to raise our families. Again, our daughter Sarah was, was in training um, across the country, and it was University of Washington and University of Chicago and Hopkins and uh, Yale, wonderful, wonderful places. She always started two clubs. One was a poker club and one was a book club. And it made friendships, and it didn't interfere with medicine. It enhanced the experience of life, and we are absolutely, you know, First of all, people. Mm-hmm. Reminds me of a patient I had, actually, that we were treating for depression. And in my practice, we use a lot of rating scales and kind of, you know, objective sorts of measurement. But it's really hard to, to measure, you know, someone's mood truly. And in this particular fella, one of the questions I often ask patients is, well, how would you know when you were feeling well? What would that look like? And he said, well, you know, when I'm really feeling good, I sing. And so that was always the question I asked on every follow-up visit. When's the last time you sang? And we knew we hit the medicine right on when he was singing again. Well, and that's true. And there's another sound that's very interesting. Uh, I was talking with a group of physicians about signs of trouble. And again, with your patient, it was, I'm not singing. This physician said, I sigh when I'm sad or when I'm exhausted. 
And so he was able to count his size um, to see. And one of the things that he did actually to to decrease his number of size, which really had just to do with, oh, boy, I'm so tired. He changed his route that he drove home so that he could see the sunrise and the sunset. And so he didn't take the freeway. He did a little bit of a more of of, of a meander. And again, it's taking charge of your life. It may take five minutes more. It was his way of being with nature and kind of breaking the um, the exhaustion bonds, so that he could get home refreshed. And he felt better, and his you know his size went away. Makes good sense. I want to thank our guest, Dr. Linda Haas Clever. We have been discussing work and life balance. I am Dr. Leslie Lunt. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your emails to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.